Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. journey is that there's a lot of things that I was really skeptical about before that now I don't feel as skeptical about. I mean astrology that's a good example. There's all this history behind astrology and then it kind of fell out of vogue once material science came in. People are starting to see that material science can't explain everything. So science is all about okay you did an experiment and it's not just you, but your peers. It can be peer-reviewed. So if I do a science experiment, then you can also do the same experiment. And then technically, you should get the same results as I do. So if 100 people have the same results that I do when I do this experiment, that means, okay, this is a real phenomenon. Then that's sort of the strength and the weakness of material science because a lot about material science is about the instruments you have that can measure the results. So what happens if uh, you don't have a super microscope, right? If you don't have a super microscope then you can't see subatomic particles, um, but they still exist. They still existed hundreds, thousands of years ago, but Plato didn't have a super microscope. So basically we had to wait until that was invented. So the things that right now we say, oh, definitely you can't measure it, it's not true, who knows? In another 50, 100 years, maybe there will be an instrument that's invented to actually prove it. So in a way, material science is kind of stodgy. I think when it overtook superstition and magic back in the day, like back in, you know, when it first started, it was a breath of fresh air. Um, but now it's gotten to the point where it's become this overleaden, overweight, it's become this thing that can't move. It has no flexibility. It's no longer as fresh. And I think that's the reason why, how interesting that magic, astrology, and all these more esoteric things are coming back into vogue. Um, you know, we're all made out of stardust, right? So it makes at least some sort of sense that the stars would affect us. Not only that, the moon, the tides of the moon, it really affects the bodies of the ocean. I mean, these huge oceanic um, forces, they're affected by a teeny, well not a teeny, but a relatively small rock that's a couple thousands of miles away from the earth. And so if the moon can do that to ocean, 
waters and human bodies are at least 80% water. And then we're also made of stardust. I don't know. It's not a huge stretch to say that perhaps there is something to be said about astrology. But for me, if I come from a magical worldview, and you know, there's lots of valid worldviews. There's worldviews where you don't believe in magic. You believe in complete like science, like material science, which is if you can't sense it and you can't measure it with instruments that are available today, then it's not real. Okay, that's a worldview as well, and it's totally valid. But let's say that you do have a magical worldview then something like astrology is very practical and grounding. Like I think I read in this book, I think it's called um, The Inner Skies, but he said that basically you can learn about yourself in many different ways, whether it's through astrology, through strings of broken romance, um, any life experience, but the pros of astrology is that it's quick, you know, somebody can do your chart and boom, you know within like an hour, like, okay, here's a general sort of thing about me. You could spend years, you know, going through a relationship, going through life experiences, or you can do whatever, you know, it's the same thing. So again, it's really about worldview. But so I have a friend named Thea, and she's an evolutionary astrologist, and she is the Pluto babe. Hello everybody. Uh, so Chawan Ku is me and I am joined today by Thea. Hi Thea, how are you? Hi. You are an evolutionary astrologer, which doesn't sound like, you know, like the astrologer who's writing up the columns in the newspaper, like you're a Pisces and this month you're going to have this sort of thing and you're a Leo and this month this is going to happen. What's an evolutionary astrologer? So Okay, evolutionary astrology is based on the idea that we incarnate multiple times. And, you know, some people don't believe that, and that's fine. And so for those people, I say, well, you can think about uh, the evolutionary part as having to do with genealogy, that maybe you're kind of evolving something in your family line. But typically, um, the evolution is you as a soul. So you would have many, many different bodies. And if you get wounded in a particular life, which we all do, right? Because what do you mean human. by wounded? Like be in a war and somebody shoots me in the eye? Sure. Or let's say uh, you're a woman and your husband dies and you have three kids to feed and, you know, maybe you have to go into prostitution or something to pay for your family. And that leaves a kind of wounded failure on your soul, maybe, that you were not able to provide for those children. And then when you come in in the next life, you might still be carrying some of that if you didn't get the chance to process it, right? And the chances mm -hmm. of that are pretty high, too, because prior to the 20th century, we didn't have psychotherapy. There's, like, no one to go talk to about, like, I'm in a lot of pain. I have a lot of repressed anger. Yeah. Um, I have childhood issues I need to work out. So there's these points called the nodes, the north node and the south node of the moon. And what evolutionary astrologers do is pay a lot of attention to those points because the south node is sort of the entry point for you in this lifetime. So it represents the past karma that you're pulling through. Oh, so okay, my so, chart, that chart with all yeah. the lines and stuff, it, there's yes. actually a point that says, hey, this is what you did in your past life. And yeah, yeah. does it also yeah. tell me like where my soul is heading towards? It does. So that's the North Node. So the North Node is kind of like your North Star. It's like, what is your guide? Yours is in Virgo, by the way. 
So uh, where should you move toward? And so that's what I love about astrology is that there's no uh, right path for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Because in your case, I'm like, you got to be more Virgo, move toward Virgo. What I like to say about the past life karma, the South Node, it's like you already have your PhD in that. Like you have your mm -hmm. PhD in Pisces. There's like nothing left for you in Pisces. You have to move toward the opposite sign, Virgo. We're not looking at the natal chart as like, a fixed thing like this is your character this is what you're like that's it you know evolutionary astrology looks at um, or works with the idea that um, you have to develop your strengths like nothing's really a given right so you might have all these gifts and talents but you actually have to put energy into them and develop them and you may have challenges written into the chart but an evolutionary astrologer believes that those are things you came here to learn about. So you might have set up a nasty situation for yourself because you want to get a lot of information about it and maybe heal something from a past life. I remember the first time that you brought up the term Pluto, babe. Mm -hmm. It was like on this message board and you just said it. And I remember <laughs> thinking like at that time, I was like, I don't know what Pluto, babe means. And I actually Googled it. I mean, I think like a band came up or somebody's MySpace page from like 2001. If you're a Pluto babe, it is like yeah. being born a redhead. It's like, it's in your chart. You're born that way. Or can you also become <laughs> a Pluto? Like, let's mm. say some girl, like, yeah. she, her chart is like, you know, she's like destined to be like a cheerleader, right? And she's just like, right. no, I, I want to be like a Pluto babe. Can she become a Pluto babe? <laughs> I mean, everyone has a Pluto, right? But some people's mm -hmm. Pluto, Scorpio component in their chart is going to be really buried. They might have it in the 12th house or the 4th house, so they're super private about it. But I think anyone could become a Pluto babe, and I think all you'd have to do is just wildly approve of your own shadow and just really appreciate your own taboo nature, okay? And that could be sexual. That's a big component of Pluto, Scorpio, 8th house. Uh, it could be psychological, just really willing to look at parts of yourself that other people don't really want to see. The, like, crying on the floor, primal scream stuff, but, like, mm -hmm. you own it, you approve of it, you understand that it's part of the human experience. I'm going to get all astrological here, if you don't mind. Yeah. So, like, let's talk about Pluto. Pluto's the ruler of the sign Scorpio. So, if you're a Scorpio, right, if your sun's in Scorpio, your moon's in Scorpio, if Pluto's in a significant place, is it in your first house, your tenth house, uh, or touching a major planet like the sun or the moon? Um, do you have lots of eighth house planets? So eighth house, the eighth house in astrology is kind of like the Scorpio house, right? It's all the taboo elements. So Pluto, Scorpio, the eighth house, they overlap a lot in their meanings. And essentially we're just talking about stuff that is considered taboo by society. Wait, so think of Pluto as the planet of existentialism. And so I've been kind of brainstorming about what a Pluto babe is. And I was trying to think of short phrases that would sum it up. And one phrase that came into my head was, you were born for a reason. And I was like, okay, I've heard that before. That's kind of a cliche that astrologers use. But then the very next thing I thought of was uh, having been a suicidal teen and being in a hospital and having a social worker ask me about my situation. And I just said, well, I have no reason to live. And she kind of snapped right back and was like, your reason to live is to find a reason to live. And like, it had just such a hugely profound effect on me. And um, 
I think that story kind of encapsulates a lot of how I do astrology because it's not really about like you're fated to do this and that, like just get out of the way and like race your destiny. It's much more about like, how do you actively grapple with the stuff that's difficult? How do you actively grapple with fear or anger um, or depression or all those kinds of shadow states? What are some shadows that you've dealt with successfully? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I would say, okay, like a shadow I had most of my life from age 11 is that I always felt like I could just commit suicide, like that that would be, you know, just a great way to end it all rather than deal with this pain. Like I just was in so much self-hatred and I thought I was the most disgusting, abominable, like I just thought if people saw me walking across the street, they would barf and so I would stay home from school just because I did not want anyone to look at me. Um, so I had to really work on that shadow of like, I can just end it all. So that's always like my fail safe plan um, to get out of feeling this pain. And it really came through just a commitment, kind of through evolutionary astrology, like kind of through this idea that, oh, if I ended in this life, I just have to come back and deal with it again. So I may as well just sort of sit with that pain and sit with it and sit with it and work on it until finally I can see my way like past that and through it. And eventually it happened. But I mean, it took, gosh, how long did it take, you know, over 20 years to really kind of get to the bottom of all that, you know, anyone can be a Pluto babe. And when you ask, like, if someone could become a Pluto babe, the whole thing with Plutonian material, it sort of has two speeds, open or closed. So everyone's walking around as a Pluto. A lot of people are just really repressed with it. That's like the closed speed. They repress everything. They shame everything. They hide everything. But at the point that you decide to open that material up and wildly mm -hmm. approve of it, poof, you too can be a Pluto babe. Like one of the um, celebrities that I admire the most is Dita Von Teese. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so totally. Yeah. To paraphrase Dita Von Teese, she said that she was always intrigued with the idea of manufactured glamour, of mm -hmm. becoming something more than you are. And so from yeah. her, I learned the concept of basically mm, becoming a character in life, you know, like mm -hmm. dressing apart, acting apart, like you don't have to be quote unquote natural. Is that a Pluto babe thing? You know what, I'm so happy you brought this up. And the reason why is because I think this is a Pluto babe in Libra thing. So I wrote down my dates here. So 1971 to 1984, we have Pluto in the sign of Libra and Libra is all about aesthetics and dressing up. And so what I think is so fascinating is our generation, like the early side of it, um, is the first generation in which piercings and tattoos became aesthetic choices, like not just something you would do if you were a drunk sailor or you hated yourself, like they're actually a mark of beauty, right? And so I think about um, people like Dita Von Tees or Kat Von D as someone who's, I mean, you take your pick, there's so many tattooed objects now but like for someone to be seen as glamorous who has facial tattoos and is heavily tattooed all over the body I think that's a really plutonian type of beauty because you're permanently transforming your body and like Pluto is all about these 
severe choices. Like, it's the planet of death, right? So you sort of murder your unmarked body. You have yes. a couple tattoos. Yes. <laughs> and it's funny, so uh, coming out as Pluto Babe is kind of a new thing for me, even though someone gave me that nickname 10 years ago. I've been kind of playing at being the new age, you know, no makeup, wears earth tones, which is so not me in my normal life. Thea has this elaborate and beautiful, like, Kali tattoo, like, on this arm. I'm, like, stroking my arm, like, where your yeah. tattoo would be. And you have another tattoo as well, <laughs> I think, right? You know, it's like, I give, like, my arms as dark and light, although the light side needs a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so on the Kali side, the left side, I have um, also an alchemist and the word vitriol. So uh -huh. it's, it's pretty intense and scary if you don't know me. You might. Guys, Kali is the Hindu <laughs> goddess of destruction, basically, right? Exactly. And you think, like, really large-scale destruction with Kali. I'm also a devotee of Sekhmet, and uh, her story is very similar Who's to Sekhmet, Kali's. by the way? Sekhmet is the lion-headed goddess of ancient Egypt. So she was the goddess of war, of plagues, uh, just a general badass destroyer and um so it, it's interesting that i've been called by these dark goddesses when i always felt sort of like mousy and not able to stand up for myself and very self-effacing i think there's a reason didn't you say your dad gave you a nickname when you were really young like death doom and ninja swords or something like oh, that that's Am my I mom. okay that was my mom so my mom she kind of jokingly complained about how everything about me is just death, doom, and ninja swords. And it's because yeah. like, when I was in junior high school, we had a subscription to Smithsonian Magazine, and there was an ad for a, a replica of a ninja sword, but it's not like an authentic ninja sword. It's probably what Chuck Norris would have created if he was commissioned to design a ninja sword. So it had swords right. within the hills. It was like nice. something that was out of, you know, like in Pulp Fiction when Bruce Willis comes up and he like slashes that guy, that freaky mm -hmm. deaky guy in the basement. It was kind of like one yeah. of those swords. But I remember seeing that yeah. sword and being obsessed, right? Like I'm 13 years right. old and I'm super obsessed with this sword. I mean, I just think it's so telling in that you had this part of you that was drawn to Plutonian things, right? Um, or Marsy things, like Pluto's kind of the higher octave of Mars. But things that were, you know, aggressive, violence, you just mentioned um, Pulp Fiction. So it's so funny. I mean, it's such a violent movie, but the culture went nuts over it, you know? So it's kind of like we're allowed to like violence if it's just in this form of entertainment. But to really enjoy violence is very taboo. So we're very hypocritical about it, you know? Yeah. We... We shame people, but we don't really want to think about it or do anything about it or probe it or ask what it's about. Um, and so I think, I mean, I've, I've been kind of looking at, like, how does one become a Pluto babe in high school? Like, why would you gravitate toward wearing lots of black or be that being that outsider, you know, kind of consciously choosing that role? And I think it does have a lot to do with uh, maybe your natural interests or drives being shamed. And so you start to kind of turn that shame around and say, yeah, like, I'm a goth or I'm metal or whatever. Like, I own all these things. And so there's this kind of rawness and fierceness when it comes to Pluto. I'm a Pisces, right? And you say that I'm very Pisces. And when I think of Pisces, 
I think of somebody who's like, you know, Jesus on the cross and sacrificial lambs mm-hmm. and all these like doe-eyed gentle um, right. creatures being slaughtered, you know, and I never related to that. And yeah. so could that be because maybe there's that Pluto babe energy there? I think so. And, you know, the other thing I would say about Pisces is that it's a chameleon energy. So because it comes at the end of the cycle, uh, Pisces is that great ocean that has a little bit of all the signs in it, right? There's that. And then I also think a Pisces sun is not necessarily a super strong place for the sun. So when I look at a chart, I think, like, where is the energy? So someone with a Pisces sun and Virgo moon, neither of those are, like, super strong, right? They're both kind of, you know, not the best places for those uh, planets. And so Pluto in the fifth house is like super strong. It's like, look at me, I'm a badass bitch. You know, like to identify with that might be a little bit easier than identifying with the softness of the Pisces or the very dutiful, humble Virgo moon. The sign that Pluto rules, Scorpio, it's known as being really ice cold. Like it has a very bad reputation, right? But Scorpio is also the sign of magic. And so, again, there's just these two speeds to this kind of energy. So uh, you can be very, very repressed. You can repress your personal power. Um, But once you open that up, you can really transform the world around you. You can be a magician who impacts everyone, right? You can magic your way through the world. Uh, or magnetize people. That's another Scorpio-Pluto quality. Pluto, there can be this kind of violent severity to it in the repressed person. But that's not always a good thing because like, you really don't want a Plutonian opponent or a Plutonian leader of your country or like a Plutonian boss. Uh, like, who do you they... want as the Plutonian person in your society? The shaman? Yeah, exactly. And, and this is so tough, too, because the Pluto person always exists outside of society, right? Mm-hmm. So um, just to go back to the goth scene, which is something I happen to know a lot about, there's a lot of goths doing it for fashion. It's like pure aesthetic, right? So have you ever seen the Mighty Boosh? Mm-mm. You've that show? Um, there's a part when Vince Noir decides to go goth, but he's mm-hmm. really just like, uh, he's candy floss is what they say in the show, right? So he's just doing it for fashion. So there might be all the people in the dark Plutonian scene who look alike and dress alike, um, but they may not really be Pluto babes, okay, if they're not pushing the envelope in society, if they're not kind of being a little raw or being a little abrasive. So I think Pluto's always going to be this energy that's like skirting the outside because it's so intense and people just cannot live in that intensity all the time. That's part of the Pluto babe walk in the world is that you take these things that are supposed to make you feel really shitty about yourself, like you're weird, you don't fit in, you're too intense. And I don't know if that's something you've gotten in your life, but I would say that's definitely a hallmark of a Pluto Bay. Like, can't you just chill out? Why are you so intense? Like, Why how, are you, like what sort you know? of life experiences have you had where people have told you to slow your roll, you're being too intense, why you, why you always gotta be like all death and gloom? Yeah, so this is something that has followed me throughout my life. Um, I mean, I remember this happening in high school. And so I was in this chemistry class with this cute football player and this girl in my grade who was uh, student body president. 
and we were just making casual conversation and I was such a freak in high school and I felt like we're like all getting along they don't care that I'm weird and that I wear all black and then I don't even know what I said they just both turned on me all of a sudden we're like god why are you so dark like you're so morbid you're just like a black cloud and I think it was because even though I grew up in this wealthy suburb I was enduring so much violence, so much abuse at home, you know. And so my worldview was definitely much more jaundiced or shadowy. I mean, I kind of looked at the world and saw a big pile of crap or something because that's what was happening in my life. And I think that consciousness made me more aware of other people outside our wealthy white suburb. You know, I was, like, definitely more socially conscious at a young age, too, because I figured out, like, um, the things in my life are not like what I'm seeing on TV. Like my life is not unfolding like a sitcom, right? So it's, it has just kind of followed me around. And I thought of another example for you too. I was in grad school. So I was kind of like repressing my Pluto babeness and trying to live more like the egghead intellectual, more like turbo mercury person. And I talked very casually about uh, my mother having been bulimic when she was pregnant with me, because she was. And another woman that was listening in on the conversation was like, oh my God. <laughs> she was like, are you okay? And she was really concerned. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm 30. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I got over it. <laughs> so I feel like this is a scenario that's repeated a lot in my life because I've lived through such intense things that I actually have to protect other people from what they're hearing. That's kind of another burden I would say the Pluto Babe has to bear in that like, I had to live these things, but other people can't even uh, listen to them because it's so upsetting for them to know that things like that happen in the world. Like I remember you telling me that um, something akin to Pluto Babes are sensitive and um, emotional, but they're not fragile. Right, right. So, so I think that. Um, that's twofold. Like part of it, <laughs> just to pose, like when you live through a lot of trauma, there's that closed speed of Pluto Scorpio where it's just off. Like you just cut off a lot of that material that's so painful. But I think the really magical act within Pluto that can happen is that you take all that stuff that you think you should feel ashamed of or that you blame yourself for, you take all that shame and that angst and that self-hate and you turn it into a badge of pride. Would you say Pluto babes are naturally gifted as magicians? Yes. <laughs> yes, because I think the whole process of psychological alchemy is taking something that's really horrible, like low self-esteem, self-hatred, um, sexual abuse or rape, like something awful that's just really ripped you in half, and turning that shit, because that's really how the alchemical process starts, is with shit, you turn that shit into gold in some way. And I think that that also is so taboo, because we're not supposed to be able to do that. What do you mean right? we're not supposed to be able to do that? Like you think, I'll just use an example of a woman being raped, right? Mm -hmm. Like we would think, what a shame. That's a natural thing to think. What a shame a young woman struck down in her innocence and her youth and now that 
whole part of her life is ruined. Her relationship capacity is ruined. Her confidence in the world is ruined. And that's our story. We tend to think that as a culture. So someone who heals that material by really walking through it honestly and bravely and then comes out stronger than ever, like that person makes us really, really uncomfortable because they've done something magical. How would a Pluto babe react to, let's say that you have somebody who is a Pluto babe and not a Pluto mm -hmm. babe, and they both, yeah. go through, they both go through shit in their life. How would a yeah. Pluto babe react to that? I mean, we're just talking very generally here. How would yes. she take that versus somebody who isn't a Pluto babe? So I want to put a little sidebar here for the astrologers out there, especially the evolutionary astrologers, and say that I personally have North Node in Scorpio. Okay, so that's where I'm heading. Like, I'm really heading toward being more Scorpionic. And part of that is just accepting that we live in a very morally shady universe. And so over and over again in my life, I've been presented with these scenarios in which there's no clear right or wrong. And uh, in which I just have to accept the shadow component of something, you know, so like sexual predators in my own family or like criminals in my own family. It's like, okay, I love them. <laughs> their family. They've also committed horrendous crimes, like deal with that, you know, and so I feel like I've been asked to kind of confront a lot of situations like that. And I think the person who's not a Pluto babe and not on that scorpionic path might tend to just distance herself from the shadow a bit more. And so just to use that example of a woman being raped, um, to say like, oh, what a shame, like things like that should never happen, right? Which in the uh, muggle world is very true. That's a great and dire wrong. You know, that should never happen to anyone. Um, but it's sort of not acknowledging the truth of what humans are. It's like you can look at human history and see how some things have never gone away. You know, like violence and you know, rape is another form of violence. It's just uh, the way that we treat each other, destroy each other. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling like really bombed out saying that it doesn't feel good. But I think if you're a Pluto babe, you kind of can't forget that people have very base motives. I can see a lot of Pluto babes going into either art um, or going into like healing arts as well, not just performance art. Sure, yeah. Just taking all that pain and creating some sort of expression because it sounds as though Pluto babe is likely to take that pain and make others comfortable because they're showing it. They're not just holding it in, they're not yeah. just um, eating away at themselves, they're actually putting it out on a platter in front of society. Right. And that's a huge public service as well. So that's what I think, like, for you having Pluto in the fifth, you represent that for people. You can represent the dark. And everyone's kind of validated when you do that, but they still may not want to get too close to it. You know, they might want to watch it from the distance of a YouTube channel, but, like, still keep it a secret, right? Do you think that uh, a lot of activists today, um, maybe... Um, activists for maybe transgendered or like gay lesbian rights or racial matters or anything like that. Um, those yeah. who are going out and making people feel uncomfortable, you know, like those, yeah. I just read an article recently about white fragility and how a lot of people mm -hmm. who are doing Black Lives Matter, 
Um, they often right. talk about how they have to control what they say around their white peers because the white peers get mm -hmm. super upset. It's sort of like, right. I'm not racist. So do you think that people who are activists, so it's not traditional mm -hmm. sort of artistic expression, but who are activists, are they also Pluto babes? I want to say absolutely yes. Um, so just to get, you know, again, like technical astrology here, um, Uranus is more associated with activists and activism, but Uranus was kind of like, also has this idea of a utopia in which we all work together and then become equal. And it seems like, um, as far as the social justice movement right now, we don't seem to believe in that anymore, that like, we could all work together. <laughs> So um, certainly like the current flavor of the social justice movement is really Plutonian in that we're calling out things like um, the shadow of white privilege, right? All the things that white people don't see. Um, and it's wonderful that people of color are making them aware, but certainly it's like uncomfortable. Like no one wants to really look at something. If someone doesn't want to look at something, that's the shadow. So yeah, absolutely that shadow material. Would you say that Pluto babes tend to have a lot of epic pain in their life? Yeah, so I think this is how you become a Pluto babe, is that you undergo experiences that there's no voice for in the culture. You know, you deal with something really dark, and it doesn't have to be some, like, awful violent thing. It could be, like, seeing a parent die from cancer. You know, so if you're a young kid and um, you slowly watch your father waste away from like a healthy, vibrant person into someone who's about to become a corpse, I mean, that is a huge trauma, right? And there may not be great forums for discussing that in your elementary school or like great shows on TV to really like teach you that that's okay. Um, and so I think people who've lived through that in processing it, they might want to represent it outwardly in some way. You know, and Pluto is actually a very humanitarian planet. We don't think about that, but that kid who's lived through that experience might want to grow up and become a doctor um, to exert some kind of control or like try to help in a way that he couldn't when he was a child, you know? So Pluto babes aren't always, you know, like the Angelina Jolie's, they could be your local surgeon. <laughs> I mean, she's actually a great example. Why did you bring her up? I'm curious. Like, is it young Angelina Jolie, who is totally Plutonian? Yeah, like early like Bob now she's era <laughs> Like, you know, she's making all kinds of um, wonderful impact on the world. I always feel that maybe um, Pluto babes kind of discover or have an inkling that they are Pluto babes first through mm -hmm. aesthetics. It's first through, yeah. you know, like maybe you're you're a girl or a guy who doesn't like the stereotypical like guy flick or girl flick. You don't like right. what mainstream society likes and the way that a teenager would differentiate themselves would be through yeah. um, the choices they make in music and culture. So right. for me, like um, that, like, I don't know if you've heard of Quentin Crisp, who is sort of a gay icon, like a British gay icon. Eccentric and outrageous are perhaps two of the kinder adjectives Mr. Quentin Crisp, my guest this afternoon, has heard used to describe him. Mr. Crisp was the subject of last night's film, The Naked Civil Servant, of which you've just seen an excerpt, based on his memoirs, 
He was a self-evident homosexual in the early 30s, when, as Mr. Crisp says, other men searched for signs of effeminacy on themselves as if for lice. Mr. Crisp decided to brazen it out, plastering on lipstick, gold eyeshadow and nail polish and dyeing his hair with henna, adding a touch of colour to the streets of Chelsea. Now, that film last night by Philip Mackay and Jack Gold impressed me no end and moved me. Um, how did it strike you? Well, I thought that it was quite, quite remarkable. Um, I was asked whether I thought it was like my life, and I said I thought it was better because shorter. And it's also like the book and shorter than that. So it's got the essence of the various things, of the um, drama and the cruelty and the depravity and, and, and the jokes. And in that way, I thought it quite remarkable. Did people actually attack you physically for just how you looked? They attacked me physically. They sometimes attacked me without speaking a word to me, just rushed up and hit me. And uh, sometimes they would say various things. Of course, the famous thing that everybody said was, uh, what are you supposed to be? Or, are you supposed to be a man or a woman? To which I used to reply, why do you ask what were you going to suggest we should do? But why do you think, I mean, what emotion is it in people that wants to attack you for just being something you want to be? Well, part of it is genuine moral indignation, and for this one has the greatest respect. And I see no reason why people shouldn't morally object, but of course the English answer won't really do. It's, you can either shoot the homosexuals the moment you know they're homosexual, or you can let them be. You can't take a middle course. Later, he was asked, okay, there were plenty of gay men during that era who were trying to pass us straight because they didn't want to get beat up. Quentin, you didn't necessarily have to be so showy in the fact that mm -hmm. you were an effeminate man. Uh, why, right. did you do, why did you risk your life doing this? Yeah. You could have had it easier. And he said, there was literally no other way. I didn't know any other way to live. Um, and I don't know, he seems to me like somebody who started off in life more Neptunian in energy, mm -hmm. but towards the end of his life became such a Pluto babe in every sense of the word. It's just interesting. When you look at an astrology chart, it's like all of the planets are going to be important to you at some point, right? When they're activated by transit. So most people are working with uh, 10 planets. Mm -hmm. um, and ideally you get to know all of them because if you're just working, like living your life through one planet, you're not going to evolve, you're not going to develop. And so evolutionary astrology is all about like integrating and working that whole chart and giving each deity its due. So in the case of Quentin and Chris, I would love to look at his chart because again, it sounds like that sort of Pluto in the fifth house. Like you just feel compelled to perform it for some reason, right? And that's something that shouldn't be shamed. So you've mentioned before how you're so not into the earth tones. You're not, you know, into that typical <laughs> sort of, I guess, neo-hippie sort mm -hmm. of, not, not even just aesthetic, right? It's sort of when... I consider myself a spiritual person, but one of the things that's kept me away from mainstream spirituality, which I kind of characterize as, you know, the Gwyneth Paltrow 
spirituality, sort of like mm-hmm. that okay. raw vegan, always doing yoga, like talking about yeah. unconscious coupling or conscious coupling. I, you know, Freudian slip right there. Um, so, like you know, just all these things where you know you find YouTube videos just parodying the new age movement right now. The reason why I like to do yoga photo shoots is it's probably the most effective way for me to bring love and light into the world. Now those people, like they, they're like Teletubby scary to me. Mm-hmm. So do you feel I similarly? Think, I think what's so scary when the new age movement is scary is how completely they've erased the shadow. Like we do have all these Marsy drives and we have all these Plutonian drives and, um, how has that manifested in your life? So how yeah. have you, I'm assuming that you also move within a lot of more mainstream spiritual circles. How do you stand out as a Pluto babe? <laughs> I totally stand out. <laughs> and I do it just like not even consciously. So like I'll just casually poke holes in a philosophy like law of attraction. You know, mm-hmm. so a lot of people point this out like, um, Law of Attraction has this very kind of Western capitalist overlay because no one seems to want to use it to cure world hunger um, or, you know, just like manifest world peace or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So just to kind of point out how um, materialistic the Law of Attraction is usually when it's applied you know, just things like that. And then people will look at you very offended because you're just sort of like, again, taking out your knife and like slaying all these things they really hold dear. How have you in spiritual circles, have you ever been called out? Have you ever been sort of felt like you didn't belong or that you're rejected? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you a really personal story and it has to do with when I was ordained as a priestess of Sekhmet through uh, the Temple of Isis and Fellowship of Isis. What is that? What's Temple of Isis, Fellowship of Isis? <laughs> so it might be too um, long to explain, but basically um, a sisterhood. Uh, although I think, I think they do ordain men. Is it like men. a coven? It's sort of like a coven, uh-huh. but it's such a large organization that it's not localized to just California. It's uh-huh. like in England, it's in America, maybe in other places too. Turned out I knew this woman that I had um, been in Egypt with. So she remembered me and was like, yes, priestess. And then I was uh, ordained by Lady Olivia Robertson, who's an eminent founder of paganism, as well as uh, the founder okay, of, um, I always forget if it's Fellowship of Isis or Temple of Isis. So someone's going to get mad at me. okay? But basically, <laughs> like this, the Fellowship of Isis. And... Um, Sekhmet is a destroyer goddess, and Olivia really identifies as an enchantress, you know, so that very feminine Isis. I mean, I love Isis. Isis is a beautiful energy, um, but I think of it as a very kind of, like, wifely energy, um, sort of Libran, you know, wanting to be the satellite around someone else's sun, you know, and um, just sort of being feminine in all things. And Sekhmet is an extremely masculine goddess. Like, she likes war and fire. And um, she's very vengeful, right? But for me, what I like about Sekhmet is that I think she's that healer who doesn't give up on you. And so, you know, I shared about being suicidal half my life. You know, that's the case that calls for Sekhmet. 
So um, the woman who sort of vouched for me there that I knew from Egypt, she was like really excited to get me to talk to Lady Olivia. And it was like 90 degrees at Isis Oasis. And Olivia had been traveling and she was kind of grumpy. And um, my friend was like, Olivia, Olivia, look, you know, here's Thea. And this is what she's all about. And Olivia was kind of like, Kali, Kali, Sekhmet, Sekhmet, <laughs> just like did a very unpriestess like thing. Even in that moment, I didn't feel that bad, but I did think this is something I will never, ever, ever tell anyone because, you know, it was really a great honor to get to be uh, ordained by her. And, you know, of course, I wanted that little like um, status point. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just not going to tell people that she like made fun of me. Uh, but even in that moment, I thought, well, she's not seeing the whole picture. There's really a necessity for these darker energies. I think I wish that Pluto babe was a mainstream term when I was a teenager or when I was younger, <laughs> because I mean, I'm thinking back to when I was a kid and I was very yeah. Plutonian, even from the age of like five, you know, like, and I feel yeah. as though maybe if there were um, terms like Pluto babe, so that it's not that I'm weird, it's not, oh, it's, she's just a Pluto babe, you know? She's just, she's yeah. got a lot of Pluto in her. And to take, I don't yeah. know, maybe that's also part of the journey, but all my life being shamed for mm, being, on one hand, too sensitive, but on the other hand, being too intense, almost like, why are you making the situation worse? Why are you yeah. making things deeper? Why are you making it more intense? I've had yeah. so many guys, like, so many boyfriends, like, run away in fear. Because, yeah. you know, like, I can go so deep. And they're just like, I can't handle this. I've had some yeah. friends do that as well. Um, and yet, every time I tell myself, wow, that was really embarrassing. Or they really shamed me. I'm never doing it again. But I can't help it. It's like, it still comes out. It's like, no matter what I do, I can't repress it I so feel you I mean I think this is the bonding point for Pluto babes I had those same problems with guys until I started dating other Pluto babes and then I married one <laughs> so you know they are out there so but part of owning it um is just loving that about yourself and then you'll find someone else who loves that about you as well oh, okay so growing up as a Pluto babe um the woman who gave me the name Pluto Babe just really validated me because she made me feel like the reason I was like this, like the reason I was so intense and not even trying to be intense, not trying to be edgy or get attention for that, but just like my natural responses to things. <laughs> like she made me feel like there was a purpose for that, that I was enacting out this sacred Pluto role. So from an astrological point of view, like I think that's awesome to just like make the Pluto people feel there's a reason you've sort of manifested these traumas that have happened in your life. And there's reasons you have this more really darkly, I don't want to say cynical, but it's like really common with uh, Pluto babes that just to, to sort of see the dark in something or see what's wrong with it. So it can veer toward pessimism, but it's actually just like really fierce honesty. So one of the things that you mentioned about what a Pluto babe is, like a hallmark of a Pluto babe, is mm -hmm. that Pluto babes have no time, no tolerance for any sort of idiocy, any sort of 
ridiculousness from others. Right. Like, what do you mean by that? (laughs) I think a lot of people really live on the surface of things and they don't look deeper. They don't look um, at psychology. You know, they don't do that inner work. They don't explore themselves. So they might not know that they have a lot of anger or they have a lot of repressed sexuality, but they walk around kind of like judging it in other people. I think the solution, if you're a babe, is just to find other people who can go there, you know, go to those deeper layers. But it's sort of rare, you know? So I I found that I've, like, just have spent a lot of time alone in my own company (laughs) because I just, I kind of just, like, don't fit. I don't get along. But I had this thought, uh, you mentioned before, like, we didn't grow up with any archetypes of Pluto babes. But when I was in high school, the suicide girls were a big thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I was like, I so wanted to be into it. And I was just such a feminist that I couldn't go there. Like, I just sort of felt bad for them. You know, you were a riot girl, <laughs> right? I was a riot girl. So I was definitely on the margin of my high school social world because I was so angry and I was bringing forth so much fiery feminist truth and I had a backpack that said love your body and bikini kill on it <laughs> and so I was like it was also like a little bit berserker crazy like if you tried to argue with me about feminism and I really hated men so that would be another personal transformation I made from like just you know scum manifesto hating all men to like Maybe I've prematurely judged 50% of the human population. If you guys resonate with what we said, I mean, you're not alone. You're definitely not alone. And what I love about getting readings from you, like the astrology readings, is you're not afraid to go to the deep stuff. You know, like you kind of sense that I want to hear all the deep stuff. I'm not afraid of that. And so I think that's super helpful. Um, I don't need to just hear good news. I can also hear, you know, like your past life was fucked, but this is what you can do about it. And I'm just like, that's well, cool. you know, <laughs> I wanted to say something about this earlier. So the reason I tell a past life story, like especially a fucked up one, is not just to like, you know, so you can have the school story. It's because as I tell this past life story about something painful, you, the client, already know exactly what I'm talking about. Like you've already felt it, you experience it, and there's kind of like a bleed through or a repeat in your life of that past life material. So I'm bringing it up because it has something to do with this life. There's that hard edge to Pluto where you want to just be seen as cold and tough. And that can be an effective trauma. You know, like I don't want to glorify that too much. Like it's an aesthetic, but it could also mean you're like not really in touch with your magical power And when you move to um, open, aware, high Pluto, like manifesting the best of what that planet has to offer, that's when you can perform acts of magic and free yourself from the idea that you're a victim. The victim idea means that you have no control. Like you imagine that things just happen to you and you have absolutely no say in whether or not they keep happening and you can't do anything to change them. And Pluto, Scorpio, it's much more about control. So I'm thinking of like movies of like <laughs> La Femme Nikita or something, just sort of mm-hmm. like the ice cold spy archetype. You know, <laughs> like I will never lose my cool. 
there's this fantasy of like um, being the person who's totally in control and never shows their vulnerability. But when Pluto Scorpio babes come around to the idea that uh, your vulnerability is actually the raw material of your magic, then you can completely transform the state of being a victim. So just in general, I would say it's like not a comfortable place for a Pluto babe to be, to be seen as vulnerable. And to really identify with being a victim, you have to let other people think that you're not in control of your life. And there's rewards to doing that. Like if you're the manic pixie dream girl, Neptune babe, it's very rewarding to be like, I just have no control. <laughs> like I can't help myself and someone will come in and rescue you. And there's that whole narrative. Um, that's just not very attractive to Pluto babe. We don't want anyone to see the soft underbelly. Mm. But going towards that soft <laughs> underbelly is sort of the way that we can reclaim our power. Yeah. And I think again, just like applying that fierce Plutonian gaze to it, you know, it's like, all right, here's your pain. Just look at it, sit with it, look at it. And Pluto is all about that underworld journey, you know, just really going deep into the things that make us tick and coming up with the treasure by doing that, exploration in the unconscious so yeah. i'm really excited to get a full-on two-hour natal reading from you which yeah. is called the evolution reading a lot of astrologers want to just kind of reveal the chart to you like simply by simply saying it they could make something true uh but i identify as kind of an existential astrologer in that i feel like my job is just to help you grapple with these things the idea that if an astrologer can just tell you something that it will no longer be difficult for you is not true. You know, like you still have to walk through that Plutonian fire and face your demons. Um, but I can help you do that more effectively. I can show you where the fight is actually worth it versus where you might just be wasting your energy. So I'm very much the Plutonian coach. This is not a glorification of pain. This is not a glorification of violence. This is just rather the very honest acknowledgement that some of us get a lot of this stuff. Like some of us get the master course in painful traumatic experiences in this life. And we need people to talk to as well. And so when you would ask the question, like, what do all us Pluto babes do? Like we're so isolated. I mean, I remember when I found a Pluto babe to be my best friend. And we had this like amazing best friendship for five years. She was a dominatrix. Um, she had also been molested by her dad. And like, we were just able to talk about things in this way in which we didn't have to spare each other's feelings. Right. So speaking of like fragility, which you mentioned before, like Pluto babes are not fragile. <laughs> you can just, Keep it real with a Pluto babe. And guys, Thea has been so generous. Um, if you use the code KUISME, and I'll put it down in the description box, you can get a 15% discount. And it's two hours, and she's going to shine the light on all those shadowy aspects. And I know if you're Pluto babe, you want to see that. You want to know it. Like, you just want to put, as you put it, that ferocious <laughs> Plutonian gaze on it. Welcome, all you Pluto babes. 
I will create a home for you. I would love to know how the audience, how they're Pluto babes. And again, you can be a Pluto yeah. babe if you're a guy, girl, transgender, doesn't matter. Pluto babe is an energy. It's not your genitals yes. or anything like that. Um, yeah, so please leave in the so, comments. How are you, Pluto babe? Right? Yes, I have a great question for Pluto babes out there. So if you've ever felt scapegoated by just carrying some element of the dark, was it like a darkness in the culture? Like we use the example of Black Lives Matters activists, right? Like if you're carrying some truth that makes people uncomfortable or do you just kind of walk in the world dressed like a vampire or a werewolf or like... You're just bringing some element of the collective shadows through, or do you talk really frankly about your sexuality? Um, are you, do you dress really fragrantly, sorry, fragrantly, flagrantly with your sexuality? Uh, those are all signs of a Pluto babe. And like, especially if a social group has kind of ganged up on you and said like, why are you always so dark? or so sexual, or so intense, or so raw. Yeah, let's hear those stories. Hello, hello everybody, Chawan here, and thank you so much for listening to the very end of this podcast. If you like what you heard and you want to support the work even more, you can always check out my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash witchesandwine. You can also join my Facebook, it's Witches and Wine. You can find me on Instagram at Hi Chawan. Um, all the links will be listed somewhere in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off.